0: If you've ever opened up a research paper to find yourself closing it again within seconds or have pushed yourself to get to the end just to find you've not understood a word and vowed never to read another one again so long as you live, you are not alone. And this podcast episode is for you. I am joined by Kate Cubley, who is a dynamic and passionate voice researcher, currently studying for a doctorate. She is an associate lecturer at the Voice Study Centre and is the founder of Tala Performance, a venture that offers comprehensive voice and breath coaching services to individuals, groups and corporate clients. Kate is here to help us understand where to find reliable voice research, how to read research papers with ease and extract the most useful information from them. Here we go. (laughs) Kate Cubley, you are just the person we need. So welcome to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. It's great to be hanging out with you today. How are things going for you?
1: Really well, thank you. Thanks, Alexa, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, we're lucky because you're currently studying a doctorate, so you can't have that much time. But firstly, have you been fantasizing about the day
1: when you're called Dr. Cubley? Absolutely. <laughs> My brother's five years younger than me and he has already achieved his doctor title. So, you know, I feel like I'm behind the groove. <laughs> I'd be rinsing
0: it for all it's worth. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about your doctorate and what it is that you're pursuing?
1: Of course. Um, I'm doing a part-time PhD with De Montfort University, which is based in Leicester. But all of my learning is remote. So I've actually attended campus only twice, which is um, remarkable and makes life really easy to kind of manage work life alongside uh, research as well. Um, my topic is <laughs> it's changed a lot. So my title for my PhD has changed quite a bit in the 18 months that I've been doing it so far. Um, And it's currently looking at a breathwork intervention to help singers with allergies. Amazing. And we need that because, I
0: mean, hay fever this year has been raucous.
1: Hasn't it? And and this is exactly why I'm doing it. So it's based on my own personal experience of having allergies as a teacher and as a singer. And I found, I'm allergic to tree pollen, so I'm not allergic to grass pollen, so I'm not so bad in the summer. But during tree pollen season, sort of February through to May oh I just suffer with the worst worst voice and I feel like for me certainly everybody's experiences are different but I can never really rely on my voice to do what I wanted it to do and as singers and performers we all know that we really want our voice to do what we want it to do when we're on stage and put under pressure.
0: Mm. And currently have you found anything that has surprised you or confirmed
1: something for you? I've not got to the research stage yet. So everything I've done so far is all lit review based. But I tell you what has really surprised me is the impact of breathing. Breathing is something that I've always, always taught. Like I think back to the very first lessons that I ever taught. And I'm sure I taught breathing, whether I teach it in the same way as (laughs) I teach it now is, is perhaps under question. But I've always taught students about breath. And I think what's really revolutionary for me is how important breathing is not just for singing but for our well-being in life. It's really fascinated me over the past 18 months reading this research how much we can hack the breath to either energise ourselves or relax ourselves and I found this really useful um, for allergies and also for reducing performance anxiety. So really amazing things that are really super helpful for singers. Mm. You describe yourself as
0: a dynamic voice researcher with a passion for research. So imagining that we're around that diary diary of a CEO table right now, (laughs) if you could reflect on your earlier experiences, where do you
1: think this deep interest in research stems from? This is a really good question and it really has made me reflect because I don't, think i've always been a researcher but i'm going to call that researcher in a curiosity sense so i started teaching in 2012ish so not very long um in the grand scheme of things when you look at how long some people have been teaching for but i've always been really curious i've always wanted to know answers and i've always wanted to recognize why there are discrepancies in what some teachers say and what other teachers why other teachers say the opposite um So I've always had a natural curiosity. And I think the research is, my parents were medics, so we'd always have research journals on the table. And I wouldn't say that I was disinterested. I loved their critique and their banter over the dinner table. But when I did my undergrad, I got to say that my research was rubbish. I was a terrible researcher. And it's really only through doing my master's programme that I really learned to write properly as a proper academic writer I guess and really critique things and then for me I think the research is backing up what I'm doing in the lessons so if somebody questions something that I advise or um suggest then I have an answer Um, so that's really where it comes from for me It's it's really recognizing and knowing what I'm talking about
0: listen I'm an avid book reader it's had my heart since day dot, but all that seems to go out of the window when it comes to research papers, which I, like many teachers listening to this, I'm sure, find extremely taxing or mm-hmm. dry and not all that enjoyable, to be honest. But, you know, I'm really selling it here, aren't I? <laughs> Should uh, twist that round?
1: <laughs> no, I think that really is indicative of what a lot of people think about research papers. Um. So I've been thinking about how can we make this really bite sized and really easy for people like you who don't, you know, find them taxing or boring or laborious to really get into them. And the one thing that I keep coming back to is you've got to pick a subject that is of interest to you. So for me, the biggest thing in the research that we're doing as voice researchers, so we're just sticking within the world of voice for the time being, um, I think we all are in our studios and we're all teaching. And then sometimes you have a student and they come in and we, we, you know, you may come across a problem that you're unable to solve in the moment or all of your tried and tested methods don't work. And then you're thinking, right, well, hang on, why isn't this working for them? And that's when we might go and ask other teachers or we might go to the books or we might look at research. But it's those questions where you think, oh, what if? oh, I wonder if somebody's tried this before. It's the questions, the little critical questions that come up that are really applicable to the singing studio itself that we can then draw from what's been written before in order to help us with what we're doing. I think if we go into looking at academic turgid research without a passion or without a purpose for doing so, I think it's really hard to read and honestly, you might as well stick to books because they are designed to be reader friendly and they're written without all of you know the interruptions in the way and all the technicalities. Um, but for the research itself, I'd say find something that makes you tick that makes you curious, that makes you want to know more.
0: Mm. Once we have that idea of what we're following, where's a good place or where are good places to find these
1: papers? Right. Well, I would say where where you find everything else, which is uh, good old Google, or your next favorite search engine. There are others available. Um, <laughs> I do everything on Google. With Google, you can use the search engine to help you find exactly what you're looking for. So, thinking about your keywords of whatever you're interested in. So, maybe you're interested in belt vocals or something. You could put belt voice. And I would always add in to that search engine, journal. Otherwise, you're going to get lots of blog posts because a lot of people write blog posts about that. So um, you can put in journal. I think what the average singing teacher is going to come up against is that a lot of research journals are behind a paywall. I've been really lucky for the past eight years because I've been involved in education in some way, whether I've been a student or whether I've been on the lecturing team, I'm involved in education, so I have access to a university email, which means that I bypass most of those paywalls and can access the material that is behind them. Whereas for the average singing teacher who's not part of a university or higher education establishment, it's very difficult to get access to those because they are paid. There are open access journals and you can get quite a lot of information from open access journals. Um, And the open access journals are, are kind of there because they are something important. So somebody somewhere, whether it's the author of the article, whether it's the publisher, um, or the journal themselves somebody somewhere has paid for that to be open access which means that it's of importance um it happened quite a lot around COVID-19 time where people were really sharing research because we've got this new virus that's taking over the world so a lot of the COVID research um particularly in voice world is open access so you'll be able to find that and access it easily with regards to the stuff that is behind paywalls, I would say that the voice world is quite small. So either write to the author. There's always an email address available um, on the database. And in answer to your question about databases, Google is going to give you some answers there. So you may end up at Science Direct or Elsevier or somewhere like that but use google google is your friend
0: this is a question that comes from one of our listeners via the best singing teachers community facebook page and they ask even though there's a caveat that book content is usually older by the time it's published do you have any recommendations for books based on current research
1: i don't know is there a thought about hierarchy of peer-reviewed papers being better Um, I think it's really important for voice researchers or singing teachers to remember that books are written often based either on the research that somebody has done or based on their opinion. Um, And in loads of books, I actually went through my bookshelves this morning and pulled out a whole bunch. And in the back of the books... There are bibliographies or reference lists. Sometimes that happens in the footnotes uh, within each chapter. So you could have um, Christina Shaw's voice work, for example. There's uh, The Oxygen Advantage, Patrick McCowan, um, Gates Forest and Uber, The Owner's Manual to the Voice, Dean uh, Callahan's Singing in Science, uh, Singing and Teaching Singing by Janice Chapman, The Essentials of Core Singing by Beth Dame. This is A Voice by Gillian and Jeremy, uh, If In Doubt, Breathe Out, well, Marius, Linda said they've all got um, reference lists within them. So whilst the actual content within the chapter may not necessarily have a direct reference, like I got this exact piece of information from this book or from this other author, they have further reading lists or bibliographies which are really useful. And you can kind of, I suppose, be critical over what you're reading but read something that is um, something you can really get your teeth into and enjoy. Hmm.
0: That's a really interesting point, actually, about why we maybe perceive research papers to be at the top of the chain. Uh, And you mentioned about how you're a dynamic researcher. So in that context, there must be other ways we can involve ourselves in information that isn't going to make us want to cry. (laughs) Or, or do something else, which is books, but there there must be other things like this podcast, for example. What other things can we engage with then if research papers really aren't our jam?
1: I think there are plenty of things. So you've got conferences, you've got things like podcasts, use stuff that makes you inspired, um, short courses. I know BASTA's got a series of short courses available Um, that are payable online. There's a voice study centre that do short courses. There's a voice care centre who do short courses. The BVA hold conferences, AOTOS hold conferences. If you, again, Google um, voice conferences or speech or singing, you're likely to find a whole host of events that are happening throughout the year and throughout the world you can go and get involved with and go meet other like-minded researchers and strike up strike up these conversations with them and learn more Uh, online forums as well could be a good one you know uh, facebook twitter those kind of places
0: yeah when we're engaging with something like a research paper or whatever that source might be how can we tell that it's legit information do do things get vetted is that more so the case in in the likes of a research paper how can we question whether this is a good resource to take our information from
1: you have hit the nail on the head and this is exactly why in the triangle of hierarchy your peer-reviewed papers are deemed as better um, so to speak it's because they are um, usually current they're up to date they have thought about what available literature there is already out there on a certain subject matter and then somebody else who is an expert in the field has read it and looked at perhaps methodological limitations or thought about the way the language is being used to make it readable for the average audience. We've got the the hierarchy, we've got the the vetting, and we've got the peer-reviewed papers at the top. But I would say that even with peer-reviewed papers, some of them do have limitations. So take everything you read with a pinch of salt and use your own critical awareness to think, how does this fit into what I'm doing in the singing studio? Does it make sense with my experience? Are there other papers or are there other people who say something different? So the key thing for me as a researcher is I have my idea that a breathwork intervention might work for um, helping singers with allergies, for example. But if I only look at research that tells me that breathwork is amazing for allergies, it's going to be very one sided and very, very biased. And you'll see this a lot in blog posts. You'll see this a lot in books where a certain author has got a very, Um, very strong opinion about the way things that should be done and perhaps doesn't see both sides of an argument. So for a discerning reader, I would say be really critical and think, what's the opposing point of view? What are the other possibilities? Is there another way to do this? Is there another way that we could go about this? And it may not be that what you're reading about is wrong. It may just be an alternate um, opportunity or an alternate way of doing something or teaching something. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say always critique what you're reading, whether it's a research paper or whether it's a blog post. Mm, that can be really helpful. And we, we're getting different
0: information quite a lot of the time, depending on people's experiences and what they've studied and that sort of thing. So I think that can be a really helpful approach to not getting wound up, if you like. I know I find that if I read something over, oh, hold on, that person said something else. And which But it's quite nice to say, okay, I can understand from that point of view, that would work in that situation. And this could also be quite useful
1: in another. I absolutely agree with you. And I I see this quite a lot with students, you know, perhaps if an old student has been away to music college and they're coming back for lessons in the summertime, which is what's happening at the moment, and perhaps the the teacher they've got in college has got different methodologies or different ideas. I don't ever need to say that those ideas are wrong, but I I ask them what they've been learning and what kind of language they're using at the moment. Are they using, for example, uh, head voice and chest voice, or are they using M2 and M1? And then I use the language based on what that student is used to. But I can only do that because I've looked at all the differing opinions and I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on what's right. I'm just concerned with creating the best vocal and the best performance for that student in the easiest way.
0: Mm. Do you think that might be where we can change our intention a little bit then? So instead of trying to find the right answer, we're just instead collecting some options. I like that collect-
1: a bit collecting nice. options. I'm a big option collector. Mm. I work with a lot of uh, neurodiverse students, mm. and I find that different options are really exactly what I need mm. to work to work with any clients, really. But you know, especially uh, working with somebody who perhaps has autism, you would try uh, perhaps your first way in, and then if that doesn't work, you've got to really think of something else to do so that you can still achieve results and still move forward, but with that student that you've got in the room.
0: Let's imagine then that we've got our research paper in front of us, or we're about to type into Google what we're looking for. What's the typical structure that we might expect of a research paper? Well, um, you'd
1: always read the abstract first, And when you are looking up research papers, this kind of goes back, I guess, to answering something you already asked. Um, I would always read the abstract first. So read the title, make sure it's kind of what you think it is, then read the abstract. And the abstract is just going to summarize the entire content of that paper from what was the point of the paper? What does it try to achieve? Who are the participants? What were the methods and what were the results? But that's going to happen in one short paragraph. Then if you're still interested, I would scroll all the way down to the bottom of that paper and read the conclusions. And then if you like the conclusions, then think, right, what is it about this paper that I can then take into my studio? What is going to be really useful for me as a singing teacher in this document? Or for those who are researching, what's going to be really useful to critique within my research or how is this going to build on what I believe to be true or what I believe could be true. In terms of the typical structure, you start with your abstract, then it moves into an introduction and usually a contextualization of perhaps the researcher's workplace or why they're studying this particular topic. Then you'll move into a justification. So what's available already? Why is this research important in the world that it's sitting? And then it will go into a literature review. Um, After your lit review, which is going to be a critique of all of the literature that's out there, and that can include grey literature as well. So we've spoken about books and we've spoken about research papers. You can include anything you like in your research papers. So actually, some of these papers might include grey literature particularly if there's not a lot already published on a subject. And in the world of voice, sometimes there is nothing published on what you want to look at. So that's really useful.
0: And just to ask, is is grey literature, is that the term that's used for just everything else? So white literature, I'm
1: really sorry, I should have explained that. White literature is your peer-reviewed published papers. Grey literature is books blog posts hearsay conferences you know all those kind of things that are not referenced in peer review yeah so they can I think those opinion pieces can be really really important because if you start gathering together lots of voice research uh, voice teachers experiences and start to recognize patterns in them then you start to build a, a bigger picture anyway I digress um, then we move into methodology and the methodology is basically, how am I going to conduct this research? What methods am I using? And this can be another really good way of identifying how good a piece of research is. So if they've only used one method, it might not be a very strong piece of research. Usually you'd want to look for at least two or three different methods so that we can triangulate the answers and recognise similarities. And cross-reference them together then after your methodology you'll be looking at findings and results so what has the like what has the research told us and there's usually a discussion about what these results and findings show um after your discussion which might link back to new literature if new ideas have come up you'll have limitations ideas for future research and then conclusions so what did the research find overall
0: Great, great. So I've kind of been making a mistake of trying to read it like a book (laughs) all the way through word by word. It's probably not going to be the best experience.
1: I just think, oh, my gosh, research papers are really long and really laborious. If you're looking on average in a journal, you're probably looking five to six thousand words just for a research paper. So, cheat, 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 cheat. Read the abstract, find out whether it's relevant to what the answers that you're trying to find, then look at the conclusion and um, figure out whether that, again, is relevant to perhaps something you could use in your classroom or your own research. And then, if it is, um, say they've been testing an exercise and the conclusion's positive, and everybody in the research project felt better after they'd done this exercise then think well what's the exercise and then go through the paper have a look at the discussion and the lit review and figure out how perhaps they put that exercise together and what that exercise is and then go and try it out in practice and it's those little nuggets of information that are useful to you as a boys teacher you don't need to read the rest necessarily maybe you want to if you're really getting into research you may need to just to make sure the context is correct but as a singing teacher pick out the pieces that are relevant to you and your students and going to make life easier for you
0: So in that sense, then, I was going to ask about how we can decipher the the way the results are presented. So sometimes they might be in graphs or in charts or with weird symbols that I have forgotten or wanted to forget since maths at school. Uh, so do we need to look at those charts then if, if the results tell us more black and white in the conclusion?
1: I think you need to figure out what you want as a reader of the document, because if you are conducting research yourself, you'll probably want to understand all the graphs and charts so that you can determine how you might use that in your own research methodology. However, if you're a teacher and you're never going to use that chart, and actually the visuals in a research document should be as a visual representation of what's in the written text. So if you understand the written text, I'd say again, make life easy for yourself and stick with what you're understanding and how you can use that in your own teaching practice great
0: this is already sounding like something I can get on board with so we're getting yeah. we, we're on the right track <laughs> Kate okay. thank you we're better inspiring some of the listeners here as well then oh I'm sure I'm sure what's your usual reading setup do you like a little armchair in a nook with a bit of a cup of tea or do you like something a little bit more hardcore?
1: <laughs> i I, like, I always have a cup of tea always on hand no matter where i am um whether it's the garden or the sofa um i'd say that all of my phd research i always have my laptop in front of me so i've got to be somewhere laptop friendly so whether i'm sitting at the kitchen island with a cup of tea or whether i'm here at my desk with a cup of tea um i i, I like the ease of Being digital, and when I'm reading something that I think might be useful for my writer, for my lit review, then it's easy to kind of collate those ideas and compare them and contrast them when they're all in one place. When I'm reading books, take them with me wherever I go. So coffee shop, bed, wherever.
0: (laughs) And I guess it's about setting up the environment that's good for you. If you like, I don't know, going to a bar with your books. Not that obviously I'm advocating for lots of, you know, you can get a lemonade at a bar, that's fine. If that's your jam, (laughs) (laughs) if that's your thing, then fair enough. If your thing is to go out and have a picnic in nature with your books, then I guess it's about just making sure it's as easy peasy for us to engage with that bit of text.
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: nice. Is there any room, and I'm probably asking this, just for myself, for a bit of infused fiction in there, like the tale of Sophia the Soprano and her shy tongue or the adventures of Derek McGee and his bleating vibrato. Like That sounds like something I could really get on board with. I'm sure that you would
1: probably find some of the more creative researchers presenting their research like that at conferences or in their blog posts or in their books. So I'm going to say, yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm.
0: Clearly there is so much going on in the world of singing but what key research topics seem to be emerging currently that you've come across and are there any specific individuals that you would like us to follow and check out? I've
1: thought about this and I think I'd be really biased if I said any one person simply because Um, In marking, when I was senior lecturing at Voice Study Centre, I was marking some incredible research papers. Now, some of those researchers are creating programmes for other teachers or for other singers based on that research. But they have got no interest in publishing the research in a peer-reviewed journal. That's not their thing. Others of them want to publish in journals, but there's no like really easy accessible way to get it. You've got to go read it in the journal, but the research itself is terrific. So I don't want to say go and follow this person. I think what you've got to do as you know for yourself is think about what is it that interests you, what is it that you want to learn about, then go to Google and go and find out what you can find out. And when you find out perhaps something that matches up with what your opinion is, then go and search for the exact opposite opinion and find out who said the opposite. Mm. Okay, that's an interesting
0: idea. With more teachers getting involved with voice research through the likes of the Voice Study Centre, how do you think research papers might evolve in the future?
1: I... I honestly think that the standards of voice research have always been quite high, but they've always been very one-sided. So I think what's really happening now with voice research is because people are publishing more, there's a bigger pool of peer-reviewed research for new researchers to draw from. I think there are more female voices and non-binary voices coming into a world that is very um, traditionally male i think there is more indigenous and cultural um cultural music and tradition and uh, um education about cultural appropriation that's coming in as well um and i think we're moving out of a very western centric classical music research into a more contemporary um a contemporary world that is way more inclusive and i think that's really one of the amazing things to be coming out of the voice study center at the moment
0: Kate Copley thank you so much for spending some time with me today i really hope that this has well it has for me made me feel like research papers might not be the dragon that they have felt before so thank you very much where can we find out more about you and actually continue to follow you and the phd work that you're doing oh well alexa thank you so
1: much for having me it's been a real pleasure um to find me online you can, you can google i feel like i've been advertising google you can google my name which is k so uh c-u-b-l-e-y or you can look up my website which is tala t-a-l-a performance.com
0: amazing and good luck with the phd thank you so much If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a five star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click write a review.